Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 40th episode of Speaking of the Arts. Today we are featuring Tim Wilson. Tim is the executive director of the Western Arts Alliance, or WA as it is commonly known. I had the opportunity to meet Tim at this year's conference, and he kindly agreed to be on the show. We talk about all sorts of things, including the pros and cons of the exhibition hall model, new ideas for how to improve the overall conference experience that WA is trying to create, and where Tim sees the future of the conference headed. I learned a lot speaking with Tim, and I hope you find this as insightful as I did. Thank you guys for your continued support, and now please enjoy my conversation with Tim. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. Glad to be here. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. It was really nice to meet you. I think this is the first time I met you, actually, at uh, this year's WA conference in Las Vegas. And I'm really just, I'm, I'm so excited to hear from you particularly about the state of the annual booking conference and in particular sort of what the overall experience for the conference is that, that, or that the conference strives to provide for attendees. Mm-hmm. Sure. So maybe that's a good place for us to start. I mean, what, in general, like what are, what's the type of feedback that you get from attendees? And, and, and I would imagine that this year being in Las Vegas, it was a little bit, different than most years. It it is. Las Vegas is not our <laughs> typical conference location. I mean, this was the first time WA had been in Los Angeles in, like, I mean, Las Vegas, rather, in like 33 years or more. Um, it's been more than in, in 30 years since we were there. So, so we made some adjustments in the conference. But in general, I think what makes for an effective conference is, you know, traffic in the exhibit hall, showcases that are well attended, uh, content, uh, you know, professional development, especially for the presenters, uh, is really important generally. Um, those kinds of things. So if we have strong kind of traffic in the exhibit hall, you know, good attendance at the showcases, you know, excellent sort of, you know, good sort of provocative content in the breakouts and in the keynote and so on, then generally I think people have a good experience. I mean, I think the cities as a background always factor. So a place like Las Vegas that sort of intrigues more people is always a plus. But folks are really coming um, to work. And I'll say just on that on that note is that I think when we announced Las Vegas, there was lots of skepticism. And it, and, and it surely it didn't work for everybody. No conference does. Um, but I think for the most part, you know, exhibitors were happy and pe- attendees were happy because the conference was so well attended. Um, we drew a lot of folks from outside our region. Um, you know, typically we'll do on a good year we'll have 30 or 40 people from outside the region. This year it was it was a record. We had over 70 non-member um, presenter attendees at the conference, which is really a great number. Um, and so I think that really contributes to sort of the vitality of the conference and the success of it. I think specifically around Las Vegas, what we heard in terms of, uh, you know, things that people liked, I think that the exhibit hall was was really well. The showcasing was strong and, and well attended. There wasn't as much as there have been in prior years, but that, that meant that we weren't diluting the audience for showcasing. And so the showcases were generally well attended. And that certainly the event at the Smith Center, what we called the Super Showcase, where we combined independent showcases, sponsored showcases, Cases, curated showcases and juried showcases all into one big night, um, which was uh, really successful. Uh, you know, we had some, we were providing dinner at that event just to keep people on site because it was such a long evening. 
And there were so many people that came out <laughs> that we literally ran out of food because um, we were sort of guessing. We had no way of judging how many people would be out for that. But it was very, it was a really big success. The last, the first showcase went up around I think 4:30, and then the last showcase went up at, at 10:40, and we had like 75 people in the audience for that last showcase. So we were really thrilled, and that was like seven, nearly seven hours of showcasing. So we were really thrilled with that experience, and it was, of course, it's just fantastic to be able to show the artists in such a beautiful venue. So that was a big success. I think on the negative sides of, of Las Vegas, you know, certainly the expense was something that we heard a lot about, you know, that it, you know the hotel, even though we had a really good room rate there, um, the, so all the food outlets and sort of all the outlets for the bars and everything were all really expensive. And certainly we, we all understood that that was going to be the case. And you know, when when we could, people, you know, when they had time, they could go sort of across the street or around the corner and, and find more affordable meals. But certainly it was expensive, and we heard that in the feedback from the attendees. The other thing that is also something we anticipated, um, but just the distances. In such a big facility, it, it's like, you know, know Bellagio is like a city. Um, and um, and so there was lots of long distances to sort of to cover to get back and forth between the hotel towers and the breakouts and and so on. Going over to the O, it was really great to go over to the O Theater for the opening plenary, but that was on the far side of the hotel complex, so that was a hike too. So I think we heard that in terms of um, those are the two main points in terms of you know negative issues that people had. I think uh, I had a number of exhibitors came up said you know. I was really skeptical, and I had really good traffic at my booth, and, and I'm going away happy. So we, I think overall, it's certainly not a site that we're going to go back to soon, but we were really pleased that you know the adjustments that we made in the conference schedule, we allowed a little bit more time for staging for people to get between one event and another. We cut down on the, some of the showcasing events just to sort of, again, to concentrate that audience. We added a little bit more hospitality so there was events that would bring people together so you had a feeling of connection in this giant hotel complex. Because as I think you know, Mike, if you wandered off any distance away from the conference events, you sort of just got lost in this massive tourist. Um, so so we, those adjustments that we made um, in the conference and the structure and the program uh, and the schedule, I think really, really helped in, to create um, sort of the best possible conference we could do in Las Vegas. And certainly our presenter numbers um, was the best presenter attendance we've had uh, since before the recession, since 2007. Uh, Non-member presenter numbers were a record, uh, and we 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 came within 20 of of catching our our, our best attended conference in the last 10 years, which was 2016 in Los Angeles. So we had 800 there, and this year in Las Vegas we had 780, mostly because our artist manager attendance wasn't quite what we would get in Los Angeles, where there's a density of artists, individual artists and agencies and you know, and so on. So the, the L.A. conference is always a bit bigger because there's just so many artists and agents sort of in that area. So... Right. I this I'm purely just for my own curiosity, was there were there any other hotels considered aside from the Bellagio? Um well uh, we have so you know so a site gets developed over a period of time and, and in in the past we had taken proposals um from the Rio um uh, which is wasn't too far. It's sort of off the strip, and it's a much cheaper property. But it 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 didn't have um, 
it's not as well designed as Bellagio. So, um, so for example, in order to get um, to the meeting space from the hotel towers, you actually had to walk through the casino to get to the meeting space. And once you got to the meeting space, the spaces that they were offering to us were were like another couple of huge city blocks down through the meeting space at the far side. So as as even though the rates were cheaper and the room rates and 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 we do compare, you know, like food outlets and prices and food outlets at hotels, so we have a sense of what the real cost will be there for the attendees. But of course, the biggest drivers are what, what's it going to be cost? What's going to cost to set up exhibits? What, what are the room rates and so on? So those are the biggest drivers in terms of consideration. But we had looked at the Rio, but just didn't feel like it had. Um, uh, I mean, it was. First of all, I don't think they have the state-of-the-art HVAC that the Bellagio has, so it felt smokier. Um, and a couple of times walking through Bellagio, you, you, you would be aware of smoke from time to time. But their systems there are, are much better than what we found at Rio. And even though the Rio had a cheaper price, the, just the layout and the configuration of the space, um, and then also sort of the buzz and the brand uh, of Bellagio is also a draw, f- I think, for the, uh, for, for the attendees. It's, it's such a well-established brand um, in, in Las Vegas that I think it, would, it helped bring people to the conference. Uh, what is definitely on the pricier side as compared to some of the other regional booking conferences. So sure. mm-hmm. just sort of having to pay a yearly membership fee, the conference registration fee, the booth materials, travel, hotels and meals, it definitely adds up. But I think this might yeah. be a good opportunity then for you to speak on behalf of the membership fee, especially for people listening who are maybe they haven't attended before. So what, yeah. you know, paying the membership fee, what, what does that specifically help to provide so, and what are some of the services yeah. that I might not even be aware of that I should be taking advantage right. of. Yeah, I think there's well there's a couple things that make us very different. Even though structurally our conferences are pretty similar, you know, between WA, Arts Midwest and PAE. But Arts Midwest and PAE are conferences that are organized by quasi public agencies. So I'm not sure how much you know about those those organizations Mike, but both Midwest and South Arts, which is the parent organization for PAE, are their structures are um, their 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 affiliations of state arts agencies, um, and they have federal funding, direct federal funding, um, and then they have you know other foundation support. So, for example, they get several million dollars a year. Uh, each of the regionals get several million dollars in a, a year to help with overhead and program costs um, to support their service. And those regionals uh, all um, have other programs. They're not just involved in the performing arts, but they have programs in, in literature, in the visual arts, um, all different kinds of – they serve the, sort of the arts very broadly. And the performing arts is just one piece of that. So because they have that federal support and state support for their programs – they're not membership-based organizations. So WA is closer structurally to APAP as a membership organization than it is to the regionals, the other two regionals. But um, and, and, and years ago, this is going back way, way back, way before my time, but Westaf, which is the regional that serves the western United States, um, just like Midwest serves the Midwest, uh, Westaf actually had its own conference. So originally they had their own conference, but WA predated it. WA is older than the regionals. And so our con- when they started their conference, it never did as well, and the WA conference eventually grew, and 
eventually Westaf just stopped doing their convening and then sent people to WA because we were we were already more established at that point. So that's the structural difference. So we we don't have we have very modest amount of federal support for the conference, really modest. Um, and in the vicinity, our our, our annual grant. Uh, from from the NEA to support our program has been anywhere from uh, ten dollars uh, to $15,000 in recent years, whereas the other regionals are getting hundreds of thousands of dollars um, to support their programs um, from directly from the endowment. Uh, so that's a big difference. So we rely on membership to help offset some of our, our, our overhead costs uh, to deliver the conference and our other programs. Now, going back to service, um, so we do we, – we compile directories of who's doing what. Um, that's something – and that's something that you can call on. I'm not sure if, if members really uh, – or listeners know about this, but if you're a member, you actually can – so a call on staff, and we can do a custom sort of query. So, for example, if you have a dance company and you need a proscenium stage that's a, uh, that you know with a you know a certain size, you know, and and in certain states, you know, you're doing a routing. Um, we can actually do a custom query, and so we can sort of download all that information and send it to you essentially at no cost. Uh, as a way of, you know, sort of, so that kind of uh, ability to kind of um, slice and dice some of our data to serve, to help you prospect for a routing or for a project is something that we, we do um, do for our members. So that's one thing. Um, we do a lot of work in, in terms of professional development. We have a number of webinars that we do uh, throughout the year. We've worked really closely with NAPAMA in the last few years. Um, and we did uh, a series of webinars the last couple of years called Getting Past the Inbox. And those, as any, any member of WA or any member of NAPAMA as a partner to us, um, can sort of participate in those sessions for free. So we, we had a three-part series on uh, – actually, it was three-part series two, two years in a row on just uh, best practices in email marketing. And, and – um, so, and how to sort of design kind of your your subject line and, and your the structure of your email sort of to get past people's spam filters and all that. And it was it, we um, retained a firm out of Northern California that, that does this kind of work um, specifically. And um, so that was that, those were kinds of programs that we do that sort of members can take advantage of or you know um, constituents out there that sort of may be interested. Some of our some of those programs are only available to members and others are available to sort of anyone sort of in the performing arts. So it really it depends. Um, we have a number of programs within the membership um, that help cultivate particular areas. So for example, Conexiones helps to connect folks that are interested in working with Latino artists or audiences. So if you've got a project, then the Conexiones group is a great way to sort of learn about uh, what's the best way to connect with those artists or audiences. It can help you develop kind of relationships uh, within Latino arts professionals at WA. Um, there's a lot of good content that they're developing f uh, for that, that constituent group um, so that you can sort of participate and sort of find out what's going on. They're actually doing research about who um, – um, Latino programming. In fact, in the next week or two, we're going to launch a presenter survey just to look at what presenters are doing with Latino programming. Um, so that's another area um, that we're doing, another program. And that's maybe not for everyone, um, but that's, you know, with, especially in the West with the, the changing demographics of Latino audiences are really a huge part of, of uh, our region. And I think it's it's something that's really important for everyone to be kind of paying attention to. 
Um, so there's just a few items, a few things that we do. So professional development, research, data that we can make available to our, our members as a, as a benefit of membership. Um, and the other thing yeah, I want to just – can I just want to say one more thing on that good. is um, we just restructured our dues um, just um, it's, it's actually the, I think the vote closes later this week, and uh, one of the things that we're doing is um, adding a. F- we're going from a three-tier membership, which had sort of broader categories based on your your budget and, and and how much work you're doing sort of in the region, and we've gone to four tiers. And so one of the things that does effectively is for smaller agencies and presenters. So whether you're an artist or an agent or presenter, um, the cost of membership is actually going to go down um, for the for the very smallest. And what we're trying to do is make WAS membership and its services and products more accessible um, to smaller agencies and presenters. So it's it's not a huge decrease, but I think it's like $75 decrease in dues, um, and, and it's really there to encourage uh, smaller agencies um, to sort of participate and be a part of WAS. That's really good to know about. And some of the services that you mentioned earlier as a as a current member, that is good for me to know about personally. Are they I'm I'm particularly interested in the webinar on email marketing that you mentioned. Is that something I could go onto the website and find? Or is that You know what? I think you can. It's uh so we had a really funky system and I think we used um so this is maybe getting too technical, but the short answer is yes. And um Mike, I can send you a link if you want to post it up in, 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 as part of the, um, the webinar. Um, it, we, we use uh, Adobe uh, Connect, which is an Adobe webinar platform. And so you have to essentially, you can, you can watch a recording of those videos, of those webinars sort of online. And I can uh, send you the link so that those can be ex- accessible um, to your listeners. That's perfect. I'll, I'll, that'd, that'd be really great. I'll put it up on the show notes and people can check it out. So I have a question for you about the registration process for for new exhibiting members or or I would say newer members. Uh, some conferences do a lottery system. Some sort of do a first come, first serve. And I'm speaking specifically about the placement in the exhibition hall. But WA mm-hmm. is set up so it favors members who have been around much longer. Can you talk a little bit about yeah. that? I'm kind of curious why it's set up that way. Well, uh, it was set up that way for two reasons. One, as a, to encourage membership. Uh, so, like, it's a benefit mm-hmm. of membership that you get a, a preferred placement. And then over time, obviously, people were it, – it, it also is there to incent loyalty. Um, so, to encourage people to sort of um, maintain – Kind of their um, their tier to keep maintain membership even if they can't attend the conference. So if one year that you can't if you can't attend, um, you don't lose your, your your seniority as long as you maintain membership. Will allow you to skip a year for you know some some things happen or um, you know there's a family thing that comes up or a work related um, reason that you can't attend the conference. If you maintain your membership, you can. Um, you can sort of keep your seniority. So it's, it's, it's really to encourage membership, to reward loyalty. And, it, you know, and it used to be, and it's, it started to be true again, um, but it used to be that exhibit space, we never had enough exhibit space for demand. So there was always far more, um, there was always far more um, demand than there was exhibit space. During the recession that changed, it became, obviously it became kind of a, uh, a buyer's market for booths, and so um, we had we had more capacity, 
um, and so the system didn't really as work work effectively there. But um, but now where there's increased demand, it it really it pays to become a member to be able to sort of get make sure that you have access. So like this year, for example, the exhibit hall sold out in June, um, and so um, you know well ahead, you know, months ahead of the conference. Um, and we, we just don't have enough capacity, uh, for that. And it's certainly that there is, it's harder for new folks to break in. Um, and, um, but once they sort of come that first year, the, you know, the second year, then they get into the, the third rank and they can start to really see kind of, you know, a better opportunity, um, to, um, you know, to get better placement. And there's all kind. there's other kinds of things that, you know, certainly with sponsorship, you know, there's a few that's at the sort of upper levels of sponsorship, there's preferred placement that folks have uh, the option to sort of exercise to sort of to select a booth or an area of the exhibit hall so they can they can improve that way. And we also have the premium exhibits, uh, which are accessible to anyone um, on first come, first served basis. But even this year there were there were preferred uh, placement exhibits available um, in the rank four. Um, they didn't all get sold out before, you know, the, the rank four, which is the new folks. Um, so there was, you know, enough uh, availability of those all the way through the, the fourth rank. Um, you know, we've looked at other systems, um, but this system seems to work uh, for for WA. Um, and, uh, you know, probably 10 years ago, we retained a consultant that did this kind of work for, you know, for trade shows, looking at how exhibit spaces are managed. And, uh, you know, we worked with them for about a year, and we made some tweaks at that time. Um, and um, But I think since then, we've sort of been reasonably happy with with how it does and, and, and how it works to serve um, both existing members and new folks coming in. A key source of revenue for both presenters and agencies is certainly the ability to find and cultivate and present new talent. So outside of the actual conference showcases, I'm just curious, are there any sponsorship opportunities for members to travel and see new artists, or is that has that ever been done in the past? Um, that has been done, and it's it's hard for us to do it, but there's a couple things I, I would mention. Um, so... I'll tell you what's what's been most effective is you know years ago the Canada Council had a lot of funding for folks to to travel to see Canadian artists you know they had money from the uh uh foreign affairs you know money and um they had money from Canada Council and there was a real opportunity to go see um uh see work um Anymore, I mean, there, there's still some international money out there for presenters to go see work, um, and but there's nothing really domestically um, in the United States. There's no funding uh, for that in in the United States. Arts Presenters has done a little bit of of like that. They have a travel fund that presenters can apply to, um, and but we've you know we've never had that kind of. Uh, funding, their budget is many, many times greater than ours. We've never had that kind of funding to be able to, um, uh, to, to support, uh, presenters going to see work. Um, uh, so there, there isn't anything quite like that now anywhere to my knowledge in the United States. Um, there are opportunities, I think, for example, a few years ago, WA had some funding. We took a small delegation of, I think, six 
artists and managers um, to China um, and to exhibit at the um, Shanghai Performing Arts Fair, which is one of the bigger international markets in China. And um, so we took a small delegation over then, and um, and it's something that we've wanted to do again. And but that's really done. We had some support uh, from the NEA for that project, and um, it's we can't do a lot of folks, but um, uh, we would create some sort of like uh, opportunity to do that. And again, I think in the future, one of the things we're working on right now is to create a, a fund which would allow WA to have a presence at the key international art markets around the world. So we're working with Arts Midwest in on a on a basically on a plan. It's all in a planning stage at this point. So that we would collectively, like WA and Arts Midwest, would have a presence at say Womax or the Shanghai Performing Arts Fair or CNARS in Montreal, um, so that we could um help um get sort of our artists and agents into those key international markets. And, I, and I'll tell you just a little bit how that might work. Because this is, how, again, this is a concept. Is it, it would, there wouldn't be much support, but WA essentially would co-op a booth space. So, um, so we would sort of take on the, the price of an ex, you know, a, a couple of exhibits there. So we have enough space for a larger group. And then you would be responsible for your, your own registration. So you wouldn't have to buy a booth at Womex or CNARS or Shanghai, but you could come under our umbrella and, and then participate in the conference. So you, you'd still have to get yourself there, but the cost of participation would be greatly reduced. Um, and it would be kind of a self-select in. I mean, we would have a limit of, you know, a certain number of people that could participate just because of the capacity of the booth. But, it, um, but anybody that wanted to try it could sort of participate in that. And I hope, um, by next year, Mike, we have more information about that program. We're, we're excited about the um, the opportunity. We know there's a lot of traction around CNARS and Womex and Shanghai and some of the other APAM in Australia. There's another market that's sort of pretty busy. There's a couple of in Latin America um, that are, I think, worth kind of paying attention to. So we're, again, we're in the process of kind of planning and sort of figuring out which markets seem to have kind of be the best opportunity for U.S. artists and agents, but that's something that we hope to roll out in, in, in the next year or so. Oh, definitely keep me posted on that. It sounds like a really good opportunity. So at, at the conferences, like all the other agents and agencies, of course, I'm keeping my artists at the forefront of everything I do and looking for opportunities for them. And each year there's, there's presenter meetings, presenter network meetings that take place where people get together and they're able to share their notes and interests with, within their network so they can try and drum up support for routing opportunities. But I'm just curious, mm-hmm. I mean, is there, has there ever been any discussion about that, those meetings being opened up a little bit more so maybe agents could be in on them so we can make just make sure that nothing is getting lost in translation? I, I You know, we have discussed things sort of like that, Um but the presenters push back, as you can imagine, they push back pretty hard um, because I, I think there's, as you know, there's a, there's a lot of, um, there's many, many steps and a lot of process that has to happen between kind of initial inquiry, even before an expression of interest. 
And so um, presenters feel really guarded about sort of their internal process. And some of that may to do, be to do, like, how does this artist fit in this series that I'm doing or this season that I'm working on? And some of it has to do is, can I get, can I get a routing? Can I, can I convince the presenter, you know, 200 miles away or 500 miles away, you know, on the other side of the state to sort of come in on this project with me? And so there's, they have to sort of, kind of come to their own decision about is this right for them and then they have to sort of convince their peers and that process can be um i think can be kind of uh fragile um and i think that there's the presenters are concerned that kind of having artists or agents sort of in the room uh could somehow when they're just expressing hey i have this idea and and then it can be sort of misconstrued and um i think they're they're pretty guarded generally but I do think that there's, along the lines you're suggesting, I think that there is certainly um, there is certainly room for more transparency and more um, trust and and uh, more kind of good faith kind of sharing of information in these processes. And I'll tell you one of the things. This this is an indirect answer, um, but one of the things that we worked on for a number of years was trying to create an online tool to support block booking and routing. Um, for, sort of along the same lines, I think that you're suggesting. So I'm trying to connect when a presenter has this idea, and trying to sort of make it easier to sort of support that development of an idea into a routing. And certainly, the artist and the agent have to be a part of that process. Without them, it doesn't go anywhere. You don't know about the dates or the avails or the technical requirements, all of that stuff. So the agent or the artist has to be really directly involved in that process. And so we were working with a third-party company that was a startup that eventually folded um, to create. Create um, something that would specifically um, support block booking, and, and I'll tell you, we had pushback from agents. We, we developed in, in the part of this in the in the about a year and a half that we worked on that concept, uh, and it started in LA in 2000, I think 13, where we had a meeting, and we brought a bunch of agents into a room with this developer, and the, the agents. Um, also had concerns about it because it was the kind of thing where they they have to invest time in populating all the information and all of this stuff, and if the presenters aren't going to use it, and so there was a sense of like, you know, there was interest, but there was skepticism about whether or not you need a critical mass on both sides. You need everybody participating and sharing information. There's some some information is is confidential, like fee um, and tech. Um, you know the tech writer stuff may you know there may be sensitive issues in in some of those those pieces, so there was concern about how you protect everyone's interest in this system, but there was a larger concern with will people you know it's kind of like if you build it, will they come and that was essentially where kind of we hit the wall with that um and i and I want to sort of reference um i don't know if you've applied for juried showcases at WAR or any of the other regionals. Um, Mike, but the I want to showcase system that we develop that we are part of now. It's a consortia of, of different conferences. It was started by um, the Ontario Conference uh, for the Ontario presenters up in Canada, and they developed it for their own purposes. And then it started getting used by two or three uh, conferences. And I think WA came in in like five or six. And now there's about 16 conferences that use I want to showcase. And because it's so widely used, it made it made the, the conferences kind of job easier to sort of solicit showcase applications. It made the agents and the artist job easier to sort of propose 
uh, and it made everyone's life much, much easier. And so it quickly kind of got traction. And now we can't imagine working without it. Um, and I think if we could create a system like that, where like you know people are like what did we do before we had this system? If we could create that thing, certainly there would be interest. Um, and the, you know, there's a couple barriers, and one is, as you may know, um, the development costs of these kinds of systems can be um, prohibitive. Um, you know, the advantage of I want to showcase is it works. It's it works across many different conferences. It's so no, you know, Ontario presenters started it, but they quickly got partners um, to work with it on it. And now it's run like a consortia, so everybody participates in kind of new, you know, uh, on sort of fixing bugs in it. We identify kind of new features that we're looking for in the system. So there's a lot of collective kind of support for it, and it's now a really kind of healthy and vital system. And I. I would love to be able to sort of create a tool like that that's that kind of vibrant and, and efficient, you know, in, with, this, with regard to kind of um, routing and block booking because uh, I think that would be a win-win for everybody involved, for presenters, for artists, for agents. Um, I totally agree. That I'm sure a lot of people have been wondering if something like that exists or if it could exist. Yeah. So, so if you've got any developers in your audience, <laughs> right? You know, yeah. I'm 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 all and I have I'm sort of enough of a geek that you know, I I really think that there could be a a, a web based you know a technology solution that can help us. I, I really believe that, and it's a matter of finding yeah. the, kind of the right partners and the right idea. So they can be done kind of cost effectively, and um, I think it's also a plus if it can be done like I want to showcase, where it's not specifically this is WAS system, but this is a system that can be used broadly across the field. Because then the more users are, the more effective it is. You know, it can be used by WA, it can be used in Canada, it can be used elsewhere. Um, you know, so anyway, I'll I'll get off my high horse on that. <laughs> no, you have me captivated because I thought about that a lot. Well, going back to the experience at the conference, then if it's not possible to kind of have those those meetings be a little bit more open, then what about are there could there be opportunities for separate sessions that agencies lead, especially when, for example, I'm working with another agency and we're co-booking a project, would be helpful to have that time specified to have presenters come and listen to us talk about the project, so we don't have to. So multiple agencies aren't pitching the same yeah. show, and and presenters don't have to feel like, oh yeah, I've already spoken to so and so about that. And yeah, I, I I I think that's a really interesting idea, and we've been talking about. Um, it's not quite the same thing, but I like I like sort of where you're going with this idea, and that is a, a couple of years ago we started thinking about creating. Um, what we call an enhanced pitch session. So, like right now, we do those little two minutes of speed leads, you know, which are two minutes where an art, basically presenters are sitting in a room, and it's, there, there's three rooms divided by topics. So, family friendly, affordable excellence, and sort of new to WA. And the tables will be set out with four or five presenters at each table. Four agents will come into the room. They'll sit at one at each of those tables. They'll do a pitch, and they'll rotate through all the tables, and they, they rotate out, and another set of four agents come in or artists come in. And so that's how we do pitch sessions now. Um, uh, but we've talked about creating 
a sort of a, another type of pitch. We started doing presenter pitches, which I don't know if you went to a lot this year, but those are also really successful where you get to hear presenters talk about their seasons and how they think about programming or projects they might be doing. But this other, this third idea is to do this, what we call enhanced pitch sessions. So they get more time, maybe uh, seven or eight minutes. They could show video. They could have a real time for a real Q&A with the audience um, so that you could, and that they would be, um, they would be adjudicated so that it, um, so there would be some quality control so you know you're in a setting where sort of everybody pitching there has got sort of really interesting kind of projects. Um, but, so that's something that we've been sort of working on conceptually and it's, um, it, it hasn't been implemented only because, like this year, for example, with Las Vegas, we had to sort of cut things out of the schedule to make give more time because of the distances. So it was really difficult to kind of work it in for this year. We haven't found a schedule, uh, you know, a, a year where we can sort of, okay, we can move something else aside and create a space for this kind of um, – because we'd need about – I think you'd need at least an hour, maybe in like 75 minutes to do this well, Um and then we'd have a process for reviewing kind of submissions, um, and, and I think it, I think it could be really exciting new addition because uh, it's a little bit deeper, a little bit richer, and certainly you know that kind of that type of structure of pitch session and the enhanced pitch session could work with what you're talking about, where you've got a, a joint project with another agency that you could bring in and propose, and 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 have both agents or an artist there to to be there to sort of you know say this is what we're doing. Um, but I think it's yes. Because uh, here, here's what just on on your point, I really believe that these types of activities, the pitch sessions and the, the things that connect people, where they get, they get to learn about a project that they may not otherwise know, because the exhibit hall, I think, is um, less and less effective at discovery. So I think showcases and pitch sessions of various times are where it's at, um, because presenters are coming into the exhibit hall and they're going point to point. They they have an idea when they get to the conference of which exhibitors they want to talk to, uh, which projects they're sort of really kind of leaning towards that year. So they may miss stuff. And what the, what the pitch sessions do, the enhanced pitch sessions or, or the, the speed leads do, is that they sort of bring an idea forward that they might miss because it's not sort of on their, it's not on their kind of itinerary or their agenda for that year's conference. And so that's why I think they're, and I frankly, especially for new people, for those of you that are maybe thinking about coming to WA for the first time, um, the pitch sessions are where it's at. Two minutes, you know, uh, you know, doing a two-minute pitch is far more effective than an hour in your booth uh, in terms of getting attention because uh, they work both for established uh, exhibitors and brand new exhibitors. We've seen that time and time again as the pitch sessions are really, really good at building kind of interest and connection between uh, an exhibitor and a presenter. Um, so the more we do of those, I think the better as far as I'm concerned. Right. And that's that's sort of it because everybody who's been going to the conferences for a while, doesn't matter if it's WA or PAE or Arts Midwest or APAP, the, the, the most effective way to get the most bang for your buck is, of course, to set up meetings in advance and you have your mm-hmm. schedule ready to go before you get there. But right. one of the things that I've found, and I've kind of found this is a shared sentiment just talking to other agents, is that the problem for us then is that 
the model of having to staff my booth can often feel a little bit awkward, and it, it, it can actually diminish the conference experience because I'm essentially locked down in there for those hours. And again, with just meetings, knowing that I'm, well, yeah, with the meetings, well, obviously the meetings that I have scheduled are great, but the entire um, paradigm of being in the booth, I mean. So one thing I'm wondering about, and maybe it's been posed in the past, is that has there ever been any discussion of reversing the model so presenters are the ones who have to exhibit and staff booths so then the agents are free to make the rounds? It it's been mentioned, um, but it's just it's just not gonna work. I mean there's no um there's no financial incentive for presenters. Um and we even actually talked about could we just have a just a, basically a game, make it into sort of a, a something fun as a networking event where people trade places. Um, and the exhibitors walk around and presenters are parked in a booth. And everything we did when we tested that with presenters on the conference committee and presenters on the board, that they just said, hell no. I mean, nobody, nobody, um, any presenter that we talked to just said, no, they wouldn't really have the patience kind of to do that. Um, so that's well, not something. I, just to be perfectly blunt, now I think they know how we feel. <laughs> well, exactly. And, <laughs> and I, and I, I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I yeah. think that there is, no, there is a, um, um, that, that uh, this is where, you know, we rely on the exhibits. You know, we need to, we need exhibits financially to sort of make the conference go. But I believe, uh, and I, I believe that the, the exhibit hall is less and less um, important to the conference. It is essentially at this point nothing. We used to we used to call it the resource room. I mean, this may have been before your time, Mike, um, but we it used to call was, it the yeah. resource room. You know, and it was it was the one time a year where you could actually get a resource. You could get a press kit. You could get a video. You could you could get take home a VHS tape. Um, or later a CD, a DVD, um, and and it was a it was a chance where you could actually get access to material that you couldn't get anywhere else. Now you can get that from your desktop. You don't need to come to WAF for that. And so the the, the exhibit hall is really nothing more at, than a three dimensional directory. That's all it is is a three dimensional directory. And I think I think networking events, I think pitch sessions, I think showcasing. Are, are again, I said this earlier, are much more effective way of driving connection and interest at the conference. So what we have to do is kind of sort of, sort of shift the, the, the sort of the focus of the conference. I think there's going to be a time and place for exhibits that we really do need them, uh, especially for the big agencies. They're really important. But I think um, that it's that, that I think we're going to see over time that sort of it, the the kind of the focus of the conference is shifting um, into something new. Uh, that's more interactive and more, um, um, you know, kind of yeah, more interactive, I, I would say. Like one idea that I've been an advocate, and I saw this, I was doing a site visit a few years ago in Los Angeles, and we were in a hotel, and the, a trade show was in the hotel as we were doing our site visit, and it was an insurance show. And um, we were there for a couple of days, you know, checking out sort of the infrastructure at the hotel and the showcase venues and all that stuff. So we were around this conference for a period of days. And the way that their conference works is that the first two days are all networking events and professional development. And then on the third day, there's an all-day exhibit hall. So it starts like at 9 and it goes till 5. Um, at the beginning of the day, there's breakfast, there's lunch served in the exhibit hall, and at the end of the day, there's cocktails and beer. Um, and 
you the the first two days are all networking and all professional development and all this activity and then the last day it's basically it's like it's like bees in a hive um that that exhibit hall was just jamming um because people have spent that those first two days sort of connecting and sort of hearing about one another and networking and sharing information and it, and, it, and they're much more present as colleagues and not so much buyer sellers and then by the third day kind of all that energy is kind of pent up and then it's released as people sort of get in and have a chance to dig into exhibits and that might be an example um, of a structure change that we could make that would still provide some space but allow for these other activities to have more room um, and create these new opportunities to discover and connect um, I don't know. I, I've been I've been pitching this idea uh, for a couple of years now, and um, so far I haven't been able to sell it. It's 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 kind of a radical move, um, and and some of the bigger exhibitors would say, well, you know, we need more time than one day, uh, and they may. Um, um, well, but, uh, I, I mean, anyway. I'm glad you mentioned kind of the comparison of another industry and how they do it because I was at. I was at the Salesforce conference earlier this year in Boston. We used that as our platform. And uh-huh. granted, this is a major, major tech company, and the resources, it's almost incomparable to yes, what we're talking about with our industry, and <laughs> yeah. I get that. But but the takeaway for me was that there's – and you kind of just hit on it. There there certainly is a opportunity to create a, a completely different experience within our own community. And mm-hmm. the way they had it set up was – it's almost hard to describe, but there was much, there was less exhibitors in, in an exhibit hall, and the ones that were there were all showcasing apps and tech for, mm-hmm. for the platform, so, you, so it was very interactive. But all around the entire conference area were live sessions of people pitching new products, and, mm-hmm. you know, it was just like the most interactive, fun conference I think I'd ever yeah. been to. So, yeah, that's a really interesting so, model. I mean, yeah, it was it was amazing, and I you know I'm so excited to go back next year because of every, everything I learned. So it's just I think it's really reassuring to hear that that it's not lost on the organization that there is an opportunity for a, a different experience, and I think yeah. that would give a I lot mean, of people some reassurance. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about this. There's a generational shift that's happening. You know, I'm a baby boomer, and the boomers are retiring out, and there's going to be new – there's new ideas, and there's new energy and new ways of working. Technology has shifted kind of our business dramatically, and we need to be responding. And, in fact, you know, 10 years ago, WAW went through – this whole kind of change process, and the board, we, we created this marketplace task force, which was a mix of, of agents and artists and presenters to kind of reimagine the conference. And they came up with ideas that the membership were not ready for. Because um, they were anticipating some of this and how technology was changing our business, and it was just too scary for folks. Um, what were some of their ideas? Well, one is one is getting rid of the exhibit hall for one. Um, going to <laughs> a more years ago. Going, yeah, get going to a more European style. I don't know if you've ever been any sort of performing arts conferences in Europe, um, but in Europe, well, it's I, really a, yeah, I have. Yeah, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, 
So they, they, they basically there are some exhibits, and they sort of put them around. Like so, for example, there could be an exhibit in the in the lobby of the of the theater where showcasing is taking place. Um, and so exhibits, sort of like what you were describing, there's all this kind of activity. There's sales, there's pitches, there's all this work that's happening, sort of in and around the conference. It's not there's not a trade show kind of component per se. There's exhibits, but it, it isn't a trade show. They're sort of incidental to the sort of core activities of the conference. And so that was kind right. of the model that we were that we were coming up with is something where there's still a place for exhibits, but there isn't a trade show component to it. And one of the things this does is it really frees us up and and, and it means that we can go places that we can't go now because right now we need an exhibit hall that's that can accommodate 170 to 200 exhibits. Um, and that's there's not many places where we can do that. Um, so right. it frees us up. Uh, and, and allows us to meet in kind of more interesting, more intimate spaces where there's kind of an energy that you that you benefit from. Um, so I, I'm yeah, certainly we're open to these kinds of ideas and there's discussion of them. And it's a matter of I think we were just ahead of our time, you know, ten years ago when our when this task force work. But I think some of these ideas are coming around and people are changing and, and are more receptive now. Uh, and we're seeing examples of these kind of shifts happening in other industries. And so I think there's more. Um, there's more models that we can draw on um, to um, as we move forward. Um, well, I'm confident so. to say, speaking on behalf of myself and some of the other agents I've spoken to, we're ready for the change. It sounds good, exciting, just talking about the the prospect of a different model without the um, exhibition hall yep. for sure. I mean, I was just hey. watching a a, pod, a a video this morning on YouTube um, showcasing new VR technology and how that's going to completely disrupt whether mm-hmm. it's a conference or somebody giving a keynote or that type of in-person experience. So, you know, obviously we're, we're ahead of ourselves now when it comes to that technology, but that's just really interesting to think about way down the line, not yeah. really leaving your your office at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, I think that there will always be, I think there's always going to be a place for, uh, uh, you know, convening a face-to-face kind of meeting and interaction. I mean, I think th- there was a time, you know, probably 15 years ago, as the technology really became a major force, where people were really concerned about the future of the conference. And I think that that's. Um, I mean, there are. It's certainly the way we convene and how we convene and where is changing. But I think the need to sort of get together to have that kind of personal interaction is 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 more important than ever. And I think examples like for look at. Um, South by Southwest. Um, South by Southwest grew from a music festival and kind of a market into this major new media conference. Um, and the biggest aspect now of South by is not the original kind of music network. It's the new media piece of it, which is huge. Thousands and thousands of people coming in there just for that. And these are all people who are working in the latest technology and, 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 and on the Internet, and they're still value and need to sort of come together where they can interact and share ideas and bounce ideas off of one another. Um, so I think that that value of convening is, even with technology, is not going to go away. It's just going to change sort of the purpose of our meetings and why we come together. Right. And that's just it, too. I mean, if there were, if there was an opportunity at the conference where I don't feel like I've only got my 30-minute slot with my presenter that I'm meeting with and I need to make sure I cover all my my um, pitches, but I actually had an opportunity outside of that to talk about some of the issues that you and I are talking about mm-hmm. right now and bigger routing opportunities and just things mm-hmm. that would help me 
you know, be more valuable to the presenter on behalf of my artist. Yep. It kind of feels yep. like unless you, yeah, I mean, unless you do um, meetings outside of the conference, meaning you have a dinner meeting or whatever where you have more time, you don't really get to talk about those things at the at the conference itself, so to speak. Exactly. Yeah, I'm there. Um, I'm going to switch over to my handset real quick just because my handset's running out of battery. It's beeping oh, no in problem. my ears saying that it's low. So hang on one sec. Yep. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I was actually going to say, I mean, this you covered a lot in some of the things I was hoping to talk about. So, and we've, you know, this, I I really appreciate your time today, Tim. What, I mean, if you kind of think about the next three to five years, especially as we've touched on some of these things for the, for the future, what, what do you see, where do you see the conference kind of headed in that short term? And then maybe where do you see it headed long term in, in things that are being discussed? Well, it's hard for me to comment long term uh, because I, I, I hope to be retiring in the in the in the midterm. Um, I've been telling the board no, but I'm that just I'm getting driving. to know you. <laughs> yeah, I've got about you three can't or go four anywhere years yet. left. <laughs> so, but I think I think in the next few years, there's a couple things. I think I think we really want to be focusing on how can we shift the conference culture. Uh, along these lines that we've been talking about so that because right now you know presenters go in and they feel awkward in the exhibit hall and 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 um exhibitors really kind of resent reasonably kind of resent that and sort of breaking down this kind of buyer seller so it's really more about how we can connect around these artists and how we can animate our communities in this work and i think that's what everybody's there for they they believe in their artists they believe in the series their programming and sort of trying to break down this kind of trade show component. I think that's something that we want to be working on. And some of that may be sort of changing the way that we that we convene, shifting the focus away from the exhibit hall, creating more of these kind of interactive kind of opportunities and points of connection and discovery at the conference. That's where it's at in the next few years. I also think that we're really working on issues of, because the demographics of the West are changing so much, we really need to make ourselves relevant as our communities change. So we need to be uh, more reflective of the communities that we serve. So that's more, you know, culturally diverse, ethnically diverse. Um, so there's a place for everybody. Because um, if this just becomes about white European sort of culture, we're, we're dead in the water as the communities change around us. So we need to be responding to communities um, and, and how they're changing here in the West. So those are two areas, I think, that we're, um, we're excited to be working on and uh, looking forward to sort of digging into those. And there's challenges. It's not going to be easy. Um, but uh, we think that there's really good work to be done here. Yes, absolutely. The, hearing you talk about some of these things really has me thinking about what could be done. And more importantly, just it's exciting to think about some of these changes aren't that drastic, but the but creating the opportunity and the experience that you're talking about, trying to get away somewhat from the exhibition hall model, I think yeah. it's really yeah. encouraging, and it's, it's it's really nice to hear that that's sort of at the forefront of what you're talking about. Yes, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, I think this might be a good stopping point for now. I have a feeling that we might have to do a part two on this. Maybe we could <laughs> okay. we could do a part two after we get through the gamp. You know, we go through the gauntlet of APAC this year. Yeah, that'd be <laughs> and, great. I'd be happy really to do it again for discussion. Yeah, yeah I would have, be happy to, Mike. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and again, I really appreciate your time today. This I learned a lot, and, and I and I hope you had a good time on the show. I did. I thanks very much, and uh, appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and and, and uh, with your listeners. 
Thanks so much. Good to talk to you. Have a great day. You, you too. Bye. Bye.